Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's a doozy today, as is every Wednesday. If, you're, if you forget, I drop these things every Wednesday. It's my favorite day is to record the intros to these shows because I know what's coming and I know that it's delicious. And today's guest is Mr. Julian Smith. Julian and I go back probably, maybe not 10 years, but he has been on the show before. It was a long time ago. He's done a lot since then. Super inspiring guy. He's an author and an entrepreneur. One of the first ways I came across Julian's writing, which you may may or may not know, I'm gonna say this and I think you're gonna go, oh, aha. You may have heard of this thing called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And you're like, wait a minute, that's a New York Times bestselling book. Actually, someone else wrote a book after, I think, reading Julian Smith's post that he'd written on the internet years and years and years ago, which is the first expression or experience that I had with his work. It was one of the most vulnerable, honest, and direct pieces of writing I'd seen on the internet. This is, we're talking years ago, and, and immediately wanted to know everything I could about Julian, uh, and, and so I pounced on it and devoured all that information, had him on the show. He's the best-selling author of two books, one called Trust Agents that he co-wrote with Chris Brogan, another one called Flinch, also an amazing, amazing book. We, I think it just, maybe just came out with Flinch um, when we had him on the show last time. But since then, he's done something that I wanted to call a lot of attention to because it's another one of those people who have disrupted an entire industry. He created a new company called Breather, which is, if you would have described it you know, four years ago, it would have been the Uber of commercial space. And what it is, is it's basically your ability to rent space, to have meetings in a city, by the hour. So have meetings, to meditate, to find some quiet. We have used breather spaces in different cities around the world to record podcasts in, for uh, for example. But just to give you a little bit about breather, he has raised more than $120 million to bring his vision to life. What we get into in this episode is, you know what he knew when he started that company? Nothing. He had an idea. He'd never started a company before. He'd never raised money before. He'd never built anything to scale. And he didn't have any idea what he was getting into. And you know what he talks about? He wouldn't change a thing. So if you're at home sitting right now thinking, I've got a thing I want to start. There's something I want to get off the ground, whether it's an art project, a business, a creative idea, this episode is really going to resonate. And and Julian, J-U-L-I-E-N, is just such a straight talk. He's Canadian, by the way. So you know it's good, eh? Just a dear friend, uh, an amazing speaker, and just such a thoughtful guy. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let you get into the episode. Great episode with Mr. Julian Smith. Before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor. New sponsor alert. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, Or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. 
These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So hey, thanks for having me. This thanks, bud. Yeah. Two shows. It's yeah. been, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe three years since. Maybe. Maybe. I don't like even that. remember. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, a lot has changed, and that's one of the reasons I'm very excited to have you back. I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to take us back for a second, okay? The, the uh, Wayback Machine has begun, and I'm going to go back to little me sitting uh, I can remember where I was sitting. I was sitting on this white pleather couch that we had in, in uh, a couple houses ago that I lived in with my wife Kate. Uh, sitting on this pleather couch, it's about two in the morning, mm -hmm. and I read, I don't know how long ago, this is like a long time ago, and I read this blog post right. called mm -hmm. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> and it had <laughs> unicorns like mm -hmm. shitting rainbows, mm -hmm. it had like, it was just, it was an amazing thing that you just did not see on the internet. Mm -hmm. This is maybe 10 years ago? Maybe. Know, yeah, a long time ago. Eight, eight years mm -hmm. ago. And it was just, it was an amazing, I would say, act of vision, of vulnerability, mm -hmm. of access to the mind of creators, and a reflection on pop culture. And, and, and to me, it was, and I'm, I'm going to... Mm -hmm. Hand this to you in just a second because you haven't said a yeah. word, and we're, we're mm -hmm. like we're ten minutes into the show here. You're going like, do you actually have a guest right now? <laughs> That's what you're saying. But before I let you speak, and I remember just like this is so cool. This is what the the internet has the ability to connect people with people, and whether it's a creator with their fans and followers, or two people in the same community from thousands of miles apart. You wrote a blog post that spoke to millions of people mm -hmm. and it's since been made into a book by someone else <laughs> but take take me back mm. to the so again we're going to cover a lot of ground and yeah. we're friends so we can just like well, well it's going to be a little bit random today but mm -hmm. take me back to this blog post you wrote however many years ago because yeah. it was amazing you know i think thanks uh, it's 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 weird what will catch on is i guess what happens mm. and like there's so many lessons from uh from when you do things on the internet you know just just the other day uh, there was this whole thing about Warren Buffett on Twitter. And so someone who was not Warren Buffett at all, I don't know if you saw this, but started tweeting just like the most generic aphorisms, like, you know, you should be good to other people. And it just, it, it accumulated 250,000 followers in six days. Wow. And, and it wasn't Warren Buffett. It wasn't Warren Buffett at all. Yeah. And Warren Buffett has his own account with 1.4 million followers as well. And, and so it's, it's just fascinating to watch things fly on the internet. That's something that flew on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I was writing a book called Flinch, which is a book that, gratefully, something like a million or something people have read uh, over time. And then I started working on Breather, which is my, uh, which is my company thing. that I, yep. I co-founded. Uh, and meanwhile, what you really discover about that process is ideas really can't be owned. Anywhere that you go, you're choosing something every day. And so uh, that book went crazy, excuse me, that blog post went crazy and it went crazy for years. 
And then one day someone was like, I'm going to make this into a book. And they did. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. That's, that's my blog post. I should have written the book. I've got the same thing with this little thing called Instagram. Yeah, right. Yeah, really you invented it. Yeah. And then someone else invented it. Uh -huh. You were telling the story the other day about uh, the guy who started Atari. And he also started Chuck E. Cheese, which is very strange. <laughs> and, but you know, the theory was really interesting because after, after he created the video games, he was like, no one's going to buy these. But if I put them in a thing and then there's pizza, and the reason it's great with pizza is because you have to wait for pizza. So what are you going to do while you're there? You're playing video You're going to play the video games. And so he invents, these, he invents these two companies of both pretty successful things. And, but the, the sort of apocryphal story in the background is that Steve Jobs offered him uh, for $50,000, something like 30% of Apple, and he was like, no thanks. Yeah, it was know? like their seed round or something like that, <laughs> Yeah, right? that's right, exactly, in 1975 Which is whatever. roughly $300 billion That's right, today, today, which is not a big deal. Not a big deal. And that's the history of the internet that. right there. Um, but let's, let's go back to your blog post. So an idea is not ownable, but mm -hmm. go back to you writing that blog post because it was amazing. Um, you know, what, what was the inspiration behind it, and can you sort of encapsulate what, what you said? I mean, you just you discover that you cannot go on living a life that that is that other people other people's feelings are in control of what you're doing yeah. right and so everyone is everyone has experienced something like that and you've experienced it in various ways like uh, you know I used to go to church till the age of 16 because my my parents told me to do that and one day you have to have and I don't go to church now but it's like someone will say, like, why are you still doing that? Or you say, why are you still doing that? And right there, you have to choose. Like, you're either choosing your feelings or you're choosing your parents' feelings. So it's like, maybe that's a very relatable example, but you're doing this like a hundred times. So you're yep. doing it every day, you know? Yep. If you're the CEO of a company, uh, then you have to make decisions every day that are going to displace some people, and it's, yep. that's an inevitability. So it's a, it was about choosing. I think it became, like, for several... For several people, James Altucker is another one, yep. would be like, you have to choose yourself and choose your own feelings. Yeah. And that's like the moment where I kind of realized that. It was very impactful. And what it just felt like was this amazing act of authenticity and vulnerability. And I'm going to do a little, I'm going to put my words to it now. You don't have to own these, I'll own them. And that's just what I read. I was like, mm -hmm. hey, look it, I've been too, too focused on what everybody else thinks. And mm -hmm. it's time I need to start taking care of of." myself and putting my own oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers right. or whatever mm -hmm. the the um, sort of analogy is and it was just to me it's it you know in a way it sort of stood for what the internet and all of the democratization of these processes and activities and tools mm -hmm. it could could stand for so it was very anthemic and I was like this dude's awesome and then I followed mm -hmm. you on Twitter for a long time and we started communicating there and then mm -hmm. Lo and behold, we got to spend some time yeah. together in Seattle a while ago. And then Twitter and became a hellscape website, <laughs> but we're somehow still on it, right. and I don't know why. Right. <laughs> um, but it's fun to cross paths, and that's why we both raised some money um, to help our startups grow, mm -hmm. um, you yeah. with Breather, me with Creative Live. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us on a little journey. So we've got that, you know, we, we went the Wayback Machine, me sitting on my white fake leather couch, mm -hmm. which is now since... Uh, at my former assistant Norton's house. <laughs> but if you go to the central kernel there, to me that was sort of you, um, you said you were writing a book at the time. You, you then wrote Flinch. Mm -hmm. You co-authored mm -hmm. a book called Trust Agents yeah. with Chris Brogan, mm -hmm. 
What, talk to me about that phase of your career and a little bit about each of those two novels. And yeah. give me the top line sort of each and then mm -hmm. we're going to dive into each one independently. Yeah, when we, so when I wrote, I wrote two books with Chris. Uh, Chris was, this was during the phase when, when the social media was really not much of a thing at all. And it, it was, we were noticing things that did not really, that are common sense today. It's, it's, it's crazy to watch things happen on the internet that become a standard, mm -hmm. and but and and you you kind of don't know at the time, but you're like, well, someone had to invent it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, having been through several phases of that, now I had the good fortune of being I'm 39 today, uh, but really, like, for something like 15 or 20 years, it's like people were inventing things the same way that I don't know, maybe some people think of cryptocurrency or whatever decentralized sure. apps as the future or something like that. And, and and there's there's just people out there, men and women, in inventing those things. Yeah. And so at the, there was a time when there were no best practices around businesses and social media and how they were supposed to behave. So what you see as you know Wendy's talking shit on the internet to like whoever that likes McDonald's or something like that. And so we were out there in 2008, 2009, kind of doing those best practices. We wrote a book about it. And so that was Trust Agents. Yeah, that was Trust Agents. That, that became an instant New York Times bestseller. And we were very fortunate, and it's really like, I think, the core thing that I've figured out, which is like timing really is the main thing in your whole life, yeah. right? And so that led to a career in you know, doing, uh, doing speeches, being a public speaker. I then wrote a book called uh, Flinch, which is broadly about why people say that they want to do things and then never do them. Uh, they have certain goals that they want or they have certain things they want out of their life. But for some reason, even though they have all the information to do those things, they don't, they don't actually do them. Yeah. And, and, and there's just a fundamental sort of paradox that is inherent in everyone's life and, and how to come to grips with that. Yeah. And this was a, fear, a period in time where I was really, uh, I don't know, I was trying to discover the core things that mattered to me. Yeah. And then during this time, after I wrote a third book as well with Chris, I was like, huh, I'm really kind of just a talker, and I haven't really ever actually done anything. You were not a talker, but you were principally an artist, yeah. right? And uh, so I guess in a way I was, I guess, writing as, if you define it as art or yeah, craft or something sure. like that. And I was like, but am I, could I actually operate a business, and am I just a phony? And it's like coming to grips with this thing, and then going, I'm going to go out and start a business. And I did, and, and so that's what I do now. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to go, let's, let's stay in the book world for a second. We'll mm -hmm. get to Breather, which is the business that you just spoke of, which is an incredible business, by the way. Thanks. Um, so trust agents, in an age where you're writing something before it's common knowledge, mm -hmm. and you are in large part staking out sort of big claims. Uh, I think one of the things that you claimed in trust agents was that social media was here because in 2008 it was like, because it couldn't be measured at that time, it was seen as much less useful. Mm -hmm. And so most of the big you know, agencies and corporations were largely talking shit about it because they didn't see the application or they undersold yeah. the application. But it's, it's important to acknowledge that that's literally because it wasn't measurable. Mm -hmm. And then now, obviously, it's mm -hmm. a huge multi-hundred billion dollar um, uh, business in and of itself, the, mm -hmm. the, the business of social media, um, maybe more than multi-hundred billion, I don't know. Um, but sort of how did you, how did you sort of decide to put rules and ideas and best practices in place mm -hmm. 
in a world where you're just making it up. Like, yeah. And I think the yeah. underline is like, aren't we all just making it up? Yeah, that's right, we are. And then, and then some people are chosen to like write books about it or become authors mm -hmm. or become experts. And in fact, all of us are just kind of making it up as we go along. Uh, and it, it requires a certain arrogance, yeah. <laughs> I think, that either you have to have naturally and that you have to tame, or the opposite, that you don't have it and you have to fake the arrogance or something like that. Probably well, which were you? Both, really both. Okay. A combination of, uh, like, who are these people that are writing rules and why don't I become a, a person that writes rules? And then I'll go home and I'll, like, put my head on the pillow and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know? So yeah. it's a combination of those two things, which I think probably... Uh, some people can relate to. So uh, at that time, you're just like, I, you know, the, the, core, the core thing that I think if you're a creator or you're someone who's trying to invent something, is what you really want, you want to be able to look at something with fresh eyes and say, but why does it work this way? And I don't understand why lots of people are following these rules. They don't seem to make any sense to me. And to be able to have the courage or have the, you know, audacity and arrogance or whatever to attempt to recreate something and and then not just that, but actually like to withstand the the assault of people telling you that you're wrong over and yeah. over again, right? Yeah. yeah. There's this funny thing with Jeff Bezos when the uh, Kindle Fire came out, and you watch him do, you know, we we all know who this person is, uh, it, but in 2000, I don't know, 2010, I have no idea, he comes out with the Kindle Fire, and he it, it's literally him on stage just being angry about other people not believing in him. And he's already like the third richest person in the world, but he's still angry. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, okay, so you remember when we came out with the Kindle and no one believed that we could make it work. And then here's what happened. <laughs> and then he's like, and then 2009, here's what we did. And he's just like, you can tell that there's this, just this insane, you're, you're about as good of an entrepreneur as the chip on your shoulder and the size of it. Yeah. And so he has the biggest chip on his shoulder. He's like, in, in his mind, I can tell because I felt this feeling. Uh, what's it gonna take, guys, yeah. before you take me seriously? Like, what's it gonna take? And that's the thing that kind of propels you relentlessly in that direction. Well, I think the quote that somehow emerged on the backside of that tantrum was, you have to be, as an entrepreneur, a creator, you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the exact I think that's, thing. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful like nutshell for capturing. And so for the folks watching and are listening at home or on the road or wherever you are, like if there are elements of your life where you feel like you've got ideas and you want to put them out in the world and people don't get it, they don't get you, your parents, your close friends, in some cases, like these are people who you trust and admire and appreciate and value their opinion. And when even they are dubious or they're like, uh-huh, yeah, good luck with that, that yeah. photography thing. Yeah, nice job, good yeah. luck. Mm -hmm. Or whatever it is, um, that there's hope. Because basically all things in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form have that immediate, what's the truth goes from sort of not possible to mm -hmm. obvious. Yeah, Those are like the three, I think, uh, mm -hmm. Schopenhauer or something like that. There's three stages of truth. Mm -hmm. and you just have to find a way to get your idea to the stage right. where other people, and that's where, mm -hmm. like, I think your comment about the chip on your shoulder is directly yeah. proportional. Yeah, if you don't have a, enough of a chip, a, a chip on your shoulder, you'll simply give up. Yeah. Because you're like, okay, you know what, fuck these people, like, who cares? Yeah. Okay, I'm over it, you yeah. know? I don't need to solve this problem, let someone else that's solve it. That's right, I, you know, or some, some version, like, I've done that part that I needed to do, like, I'm done. And then the other side is just like, 
you don't understand how it's something that is so obvious to you. It needed to be obvious and fairly obvious for you to put your, just like whatever, what we're all doing, like putting our reputation on the line, yep. putting our name to something, signing to it every day, yeah. right? And saying, yeah, I still believe it. That, that's right, I'm gonna tell you about it right now. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so how you're relentlessly doing that, you really need to believe in it, but, uh, and still like 90% of the world doesn't care. No, never mind believe in it, they don't even know that it exists yeah. or something. How about, how important is believing in the idea that you're trying to get out there? Uh, I think it's the core thing. You know, it's funny because what you discover I don't like this about myself, but it's like one of my core things. I think I can sell an idea really well. It's, it's, it's not a, if you want to be something <laughs> in life, you really do need this skill, but it's not like, it's not a great quality to be like, I'm a great salesperson. Like it's really, I wish that there was something else, <laughs> you know, something more, you know, a, a, great a, philanthropist. A, you know, holy or like pure, <laughs> you know, like some other quality, but you really do need that. And in order to, the, the, most people who are, who are able to sell really well, they sell because they believe in something. Mm -hmm. And if they don't believe in something, then I think the whole thing falls apart. Right? Well, I think there's a, uh, let's throw rocks at Microsoft for a second, no, no offense, I love you know, Microsoft, Apple, everyone for their own thing. Um, but if you're, you're Apple and you've got the iPod, mm -hmm. and then a couple years later, you're Microsoft and you have the Zune. And for those of you who don't remember, this was Microsoft's <laughs> attempt, there's an answer to the um, MP3 player and I remember reading or hearing an inside um, inside baseball kind of idea where the people at Microsoft were tasked to sell the thing. You're like, just make me a fucking iPod. Yeah. I can sell that. You made me a fucking Zune. Mm -hmm. Like I can't sell the Zune. And what is implicit in there is not the product and whether it's good or not good. Mm -hmm. It's the belief or lack of belief in the thing. Right. And if the people who are supposed to be driving this thing, and in, in, in your case as an entrepreneur yeah. or a creator, it's like, if you don't believe in you, who will? If you don't believe in your ideas, your passion, the things that you care about, mm -hmm. who will? Yeah. And that's a very, very hard, I think, thing to come to grips with. Mm -hmm. And for those at home who are trying to think about why the thing isn't working, I think maybe that's, uh, this can be a call to arms. Like, mm -hmm. do you believe in it? Yeah, and it's so challenging to simultaneously, because you have to hold all these ideas in your head at the same time. One of your ideas is, is I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. You cannot discount that because at some point someone's going to say something to you. I had, I, had, I remember having a hard uh, deadline. It was I don't know some day in June of 2013, and being like, if I can't raise money and finish it by this day, I'm just going to drop this. And actually, on that day where I announced my company at LeWeb, which is our, I think our collective friend Loic, yep. who uh, runs that event in France, and I'm francophone. Canadian, so that was an appropriate place for me to do that, and uh, and being like, if I can't raise money by that day, I'm done. And actually, like I literally that day of, I was able to close the money, and I was like, well, I have to announce this, even. <laughs> and and so you have to hold this. You have to have some vague objective measures of by X time with Y thing. If Z, Z thing doesn't happen, I quit or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It can't be. I'll, I'll go on forever. At the same time. It needs to be, but I believe in this so much that I may, that I'll I'll write the checks, that I'll do these things, and I really, and and it's funny because 
at some point it's vision. At another point in that same line, that vision is craziness. Yeah. These are qualities that people like in entrepreneurs and really laud in entrepreneurs, but they actually don't like in people <laughs> normally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so it's a funny thing to be one of those people that is trying to reinvent fundamental things about the world that other people take for granted. Yeah, like space, for example. Yes, like commercial real estate. Commercial real estate is one of these really funny things that uh, that you just presume that you were born, that it works, buildings work one way, you know, and you're going to die and it's never going to change, yeah. right? And, uh, and so I didn't realize at the time, that one, of the, one of the best ways to know if you have an idea and your idea has some, you know, legs or whatever, is that it actually propels people in a different way than you originally suspected that it would. When I, when I, when I came up with this company, uh, me and a co-founder, Katarina, came up with this idea of space should be useful and accessible by mobile phone. We didn't realize that we were reinventing a section of commercial real estate, like a whole section of it, yeah. that now is sitting at over 120 uh, million raised by some very good funds, 250 employees, like all of these things, and going, okay, well, I'm reinventing something. I don't know what I'm reinventing, but here we go. Right. And and then it's just propelling you years, 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 years later. Yeah. And and it's, that's wild because most ideas you start with them, and the world stops you in some way. And yeah. I happen to choose an idea, and I happen to come up with a thing that it, you know it c could continue to grow for 20 years. Yeah. Right. And that's that is obviously like a weird blessing. Yeah. And a curse. So we're going to talk about both sides, the blessing yeah. and the curse. Mm -hmm. So on the blessing side, um, I observed, I mean, I remember talking to you, maybe even it was on the show a couple of years ago when mm -hmm. Breda was really, really early or maybe not, had not even been announced yet. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, maybe we've been a little bit longer than we think since you've been on the show. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the prototype that I understood was, oh, well, of course, people, and, and the concept with Breather is you want to rent space in a city and for a meeting or a conference room, or mm -hmm. we've used it for recording yeah. these podcasts. Mm -hmm. And in, thank you. Yeah. yeah, happy to do it. Um, and any other number of reasons, and you want to pay by the hour, mm -hmm. and you want to have access to the space, it wants to be clean and, and all of these things, and then you want to be able to close the door and walk away. Not dissimilar to an Uber renting a car. Mm -hmm. You were part of the, yeah. the, you hit the sweet spot of the Uber of yeah. fill in the blank. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, the, taking, taking a thing and making it paper use yeah. instead of making it commitment based. Mm. That's right. Interesting, That's a, I hadn't thought of that distinction. But I just found it really useful, and I think part of what I've seen in this idea, for example, hey, I've got this great idea where you should be able to take pictures of anything, add cool effects via mm -hmm. these things called filters, yeah. and then share it direct to social media. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to this is going to be an interesting idea. Yeah. I think in the future, you know, photography is going to be a universal language that you don't have to worry about, and that mm -hmm. you're going to be people are going to be taking pictures. You know, the best camera is the one that's with you, and you'll be taking pictures mm -hmm. of receipts and where you parked your car, and pictures of your kids, and you'll be sharing them trillions right. and trillions of images. And mm -hmm. that was. Like you talked about timing, that was very early. Mm -hmm. It was in two thousand seven, eight, nine. Yeah, and uh, it did go on to be app of the year. But I, res I, I felt all of this resistance and red tape and lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, then this whole company called Instagram came along, used a lot of the same information, not dissimilar to your book. Yep. But then they built a great business. Let's talk about Breather, though. Yeah. So when you have mm -hmm. this idea, so I, I, have, I know just enough about this experience to, um, to talk about it, but not enough to be you. Mm -hmm. 
what was the initial concept when you had the idea of Breather? And was everybody immediately onto it, or did you get a lot of no's? And if yeah. so, what did it sound like? No, no, no. Yeah, I had a, I had a, a meaningfully successful career as a, as a writer. And it was like, but you have a good thing. I don't understand why you're doing this. My lawyer actually brought me. I, it's weird. By the way, it's very weird to have a, a, a any, lawyer. any lawyer at all. Now right. I have a, like an army of them. It's really <laughs> strange. So, but even that I had one at that time, and my lawyer brought me to a breakfast place, and we make fun of it now. And he brought in like a like a property manager or something like that. And the guy was like, "This is not going to work," and all these things. And I remember leaving that room and being like, I'm still going to do this. I, I literally do not care. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm happy that I did. So, so there is, you know, it's, it's just it, in this process of just constantly being exposed to an idea. The idea morphs as time goes on. Mm -hmm. So for me, at the very beginning, I was like, well, space is very scarce. I just thought it's... My experience in coffee shops, my experience traveling, being a being a, a public speaker or whatever, you're you're stuck between a Starbucks and a hotel room, and uh, and there's no space that's really for you, right? Yeah. And so I was like, well, people are going to need them. And I remember talking to early people, early investors that were like, I think this is just meeting rooms. And I was like, no, it's not just meeting. That they actually it was it was commercial real estate. It was largely about productivity and all those things. And I know when you used it in Los Angeles and other cities that it's largely about you and a team getting work done. Yep. Of course. But at the time, you start with this. It's funny. I was, you know, Andrew Mason who started Groupon and then went on to start Detour and Descript and like still an entrepreneur that I really respect. He really started Groupon as like a way to, co to collect a set of people who want to donate something towards a cause and then next thing you know, it becomes a coupon app, yeah. right? And so it's funny how the market will take on, you're, for, you're, you're lucky if you have a project and your project has any market at all, right? So you should be, yeah. that's a blessing regardless yeah. of what it is. But it's funny how someone will, or the market will take an idea and just say, well, this is what I want out of it. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of follow that in whatever direction. So it was just, people will need space. And people do need a lot of space, it turns out. Yeah. But then it's, it becomes a reinvention of a section of commercial real estate, not a reinvention of, Starbucks or a reinvention of, you know, I don't know, meditation spaces or like whatever yeah. other pure sort of version of that that I thought at that time. Got it. How do you think about um, there are other folks have tried to enter the market? Is mm -hmm. this a winner take all? No, this is that's the thing. Is many a, are an Uber or mm -hmm. a, or a WeWork or how, how do you think about what it yeah. is that you're in? Yeah. So it's 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 funny. I think many markets are winner take all, or they seem that way at the very beginning. And people tell there's almost like a religion in in when I say a religion, what I mean is 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 a belief that is universal in tech that network effects progressively will destroy every competitor. Now, it's taken a long time for Uber and Lyft and for you to discover that actually they're probably neither of them is going to die for like a very long time. And uh, in commercial real estate, it's most these things are mostly true in large markets. In very, very large markets, you have multiple winners. So in actuality, even in my industry today, you know, if you think about Convene, Convene has raised some like 150 million for event spaces. And then WeWork has raised, I don't even know, like billion. $5 billion, yeah, five million, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or buy a soft bank and more in debt, right? And we have raised over 120 now. And so there's like meaningful players at scale, but that's only possible in markets that are insanely big. Yeah. And in most cases, there probably is like a major winner, right? And we just happen to be in a market that's so large that it's not, it doesn't really apply. Got it. So 
we've talked about books, we've talked about uh, companies, we've talked about um, a little bit of history that you and I have together. Mm. I want to talk about you. Mm. Something I've noticed that you don't do very much of. You tend to shift all the conversations into your businesses, or your products, or your projects. Sure. <laughs> um, so just ride this one with me, ride the wave. Mm -hmm. um, was there something in, I think, and the, the reason for going here is mm -hmm. I, the folks who are watching are largely creators and entrepreneurs, and, and you know the audience very well from being on the show. And um, the, I think what we all want to know is that this is doable by people like right. us. Yeah. And or people like me, and if you're sitting at home in your underwear in Ohio mm -hmm. right now, yeah. or you're on, on Hello. you know, you're on a bike somewhere in central Colorado, riding up a steep mm -hmm. hill trying to get shape, or wherever you're listening, you're yeah. watching, that you can put yourself in this conversation. And to me, that's the most important and first step is, like, wait a minute, you need to be able to put yourself there. And I think yeah. one of the best ways of doing that is through personal stories. So. Mm -hmm. Brene Brown has what she calls gold-plated grit. And we tell these gritty stories about how hard it was, and then we immediately kick back over to our successes because it's more universally sort of yeah. lauded that we, mm -hmm. oh yeah, but and it was so hard to raise the money, but then we did it. Yes. And yeah. I'm trying to sort of find the other side of that same point. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about some of the things that were hard mm -hmm. in A, you starting. Yeah. And what are some of your, what's the, what are some of the gritty underbellies of mm -hmm. self-doubt and grit that you had to have yeah. in order to, to For create sure. some success? I mean, the answer is, is everything is hard. You know, that's the part that's really fucked up about it. Yeah. And it's really, you know, I don't know, you, you know, you kind of, maybe Elon Musk is not popular right now because of like how weird he is on Twitter or something. But, can, but, it, but isn't it amazing to you how relentless like how anyone can be that relentless at all? Yeah. Like, look at you and me. Like, like we we are yeah. we are pretty relentless. Yeah. But are are we like really dying on the inside by anxiety and stress? I I don't know you like yeah. in that way. But I'm gonna guess you're not, and I'm not. Like, yeah. of course, I feel stress and I feel, of course, anxiety and all these things. But I'm not like dying from it on the inside. So, but it's it's the, the first thing to figure out is is humans are by their very nature people that are incredibly good at long-term suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and so you just kind of have to accept it and you just have to accept that that's a part of the human experience and the part of uh, you doing anything of substance. The biggest thing that really drew me in was that I put myself on the line and I put my reputation on the line and once I had raised some money or put up some of my own money in my company, if you use the example of the company that I started, then I was like, then, then I used the negativity to really fuel me. I was like, I am afraid of uh, being a loser or being an, of being an idiot and, and waste, and I was like, so I have to continue. Yeah. And so uh, that's one way, you know, and then, then you're in it and then you're like, okay, you know, I remember waking up and being like, midway between maybe my, our series C and our series A round, and I would wake up like any entrepreneur wakes up in the middle of the night. I don't wake up and I freak out, maybe, but what yeah. I do is I just wake up and I'm thinking, Yeah. and I just won't stop thinking. And so what a, a quality that I had from my book writing days, and I still have, is I read a thousand words every morning, and I do that every morning. I've been doing it for 10 years or something, a long time, it's a lot of words. And uh, I woke up and I was like, we are running out of money. 
And I was like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> you know? And so you, uh, you will find yourself with heaps and heaps and burdens and just these insane burdens that you, that you take on. And it really, it's about whether you're able to persevere through them. You know, and, and what you figure out is actually like you really wish that it were over already. Like the person in Chicago who's going up the hill and who's trying to get up in, in shape. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it really is just about whether you quit or not. You know? It is so much, so much of success is just, just, just like one mile past yeah. where, the, where mm -hmm. you got off your bike. Yeah, and you're just or, like, I, okay, I guess I have to keep going. And so there are, you know, it's, it's really fascinating and I, and I love you do see all the success stories. Reed Hastings, the founder of Netflix, who is the CEO currently still, and <clears throat> he says something along the lines of, oh, I just love competing, and I love being in the ring, and I love all these things, and, uh, and how excited he seems about it. And he's like, is he just excited all the time? No. We can talk about it. He's yeah. not excited all the time. He's super stressed out all the time. Yeah. It's just that there's more positive in it for him than negative. Yes. But it wasn't always that way, and it's and so there is this relent. It's, but at least we have the good fortune in our case of having this relentless attitude and being able to continuously persevere and succeeding. Yeah, and that that's some luck, that's some hard work, that's some support from family members, like all the alchemy that needs to get it to, like it has to work together in order for you to get to the other side. All right, so you wake up at three in the morning, and mm -hmm. you're like, we're running out of money. What's the tactic that you do? You, you mentioned writing yeah. a thousand words, mm -hmm. but Phil, like, bridge the gap for me between waking up and realizing that mm -hmm. you're running out of money, and how do you get through it? Yeah, so I, I think I just, in the early stages of a company, you don't have a lot of people that you can be like, hey, what do we do? In my case, we had something like nine employees, maybe something like that. And I had the good fortune that we had a decent team of people and those people I was just like, guys, you guys need to run the company. It needs to grow at this rate. Just figure it out. I probably said like, at the time it was like, it needs to grow 8% a week, which is a well-known Y Combinator thing or 20% a month or whatever. And to their good fortune, and it worked out really well for everyone involved, uh, I, I could focus on doing this one thing and we were successful at doing that. We raised a $6 million Series A uh, and we did it because of the, what, this is something that I didn't understand at the time. I, I think what people believe is they believe that individuals that are successful are successful because they just have this relentless drive and I accidentally just reinforced that with what I just said and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry and that's not true. What really happens is that there's a successful safety ecosystem around them and that ecosystem is a combination of the co your co-founder and your early people and all these things, and the people that uh, will wake up when you wake up in the middle of the night and like will lean over to you and be like, "You're okay. Is everything fine?" You know, you're actually not doing it by yourself. You never are. There is no. You're, you're just getting the credit. Yeah, the myth of the lone founder, a, which yeah. is which is a complete sure. illusion. Right. But it's reinforced by the fact that there's one guy on the show, not like a whole team of people behind them. Yeah. And in actuality. Uh, what I, when, I, when I wrote that book, The Flinch, I believed that it was all about grit and perseverance and just going and doing the hard thing. What I didn't realize was in order to do that, you need a, an amount of underlying safety. Yeah. 
that safety can come from, in a lot of cases, I'm sure it comes from Spouses these really crazy things. It can come from having a lot of money in the bank. It can come from your loved ones that you have. It can come from other people that you trust. It can come from not having a lot of other expenses. So That's right. Yeah. To, lead, to live mm -hmm. are very few and very like, simple. At worst, I return to X, which is a pretty good option. Yeah. It comes from yeah your uh, BATNA, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, which is another alternative other than your success here. Yes. And so there's lots of different things that you do to produce safety. And then that basis of safety allows you to take the risk and feel like I'm okay. Because regardless, I've got this stuff. I love that. I'm going to do a slight little detour here. And um, I've had the good fortune of being mentored by Sir Richard Branson, who's an investor in Creative Live, amazing legend. And I think everybody thinks, and he, he tells, he told me this story over lunch. He's like, you know, people, they romanticize about, mm -hmm. um, they romanticize about entrepreneurship. Like, all right, all my chips, you just, I'm betting it all. <laughs> and the reality is that, you know, whether you're, mm -hmm. um, uh, who invented the light bulb? Thomas Edison, sure. um, or you know, who had a thousand you know misfires, mm -hmm. or as he says it, like I found a thousand ways not to invent the light bulb. Mm -hmm. um, that that there's, you're, it's always about sort of living to fight another day and trying to what Sir Richard says is sort of mitigate the downside. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things you can do in order to protect yourself, whether it's a rainy day fund, whether it's mm -hmm. reduce your living expenses yes. so that you're mm -hmm. very happy with um, very simple things. And that mm -hmm. therefore, if you blow everything and, and you have nothing, then you can start again because right. yeah. you, know, you don't need these material things. Or in his case, uh, the example he used with me was negotiating that when he started airlines that he would um, negotiate with the... Uh, manufacturer of those airplanes mm -hmm. to buy them back at a pre-agreed upon price right. if it didn't work. Yeah. Like that's just crazy. Nobody does that. Mm -hmm. But even folks like the most successful iconic entrepreneurs on the history mm -hmm. of the planet yeah. are doing this at all time. And mm -hmm. I think there's there in there there are lessons for us to learn. I totally agree. And when you tell these stories and you're like, oh, and he started SpaceX and I, what the most successful stories to me are the people who risk it all again. Mm -hmm. In actuality the last time that I risked it all was actually maybe never, right. right? Because I started with a small success when I was 25 or something, and then another one later when I was 28. And so progressively, it's never been all in. And you know, for Richard Branson, I'm sure it's not fucking all in either. He hasn't, sure. he's not an insane person. Yeah. So, so what, you know, this, the stories that are the craziest to me are the people where someone is, they go from, they're the, you know, like Jack Dorsey and, and, and he's like, yeah, and I invented Twitter and now I'm going to invent a completely other thing. And then there's people that are putting all of their money into Hundreds some new crazy yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and cause those are people that they're going, actually, I am putting it all in. Yeah. Cause they have and, had a life of a hundred, multi hundred millionaire or billionaire. And, and I'm, yeah. all of it is going in yeah. for real. Then you're like, wow, that's unbelievable. Cause most people, they are they are re, they're ration, they're rational to a degree about their lack of rationality. Yeah, it's a, it's a buffer, <laughs> and most people have it. They just don't tell, talk about it in the story. Yeah, and I think that but that's, it's it's a it's a thing like right now. I imagine there's a bunch of listeners saying, "Wait a minute, well, I got a, a family and a mortgage and a whatever." And so, to me, as a creator, this is the way my creator brain goes: is like, awesome. Those are called creative constraints. The client says, I want you to draw me a picture mm -hmm. and it needs to be four foot tall and six feet wide and purple. Mm -hmm. Then you don't make it seven feet tall mm -hmm. and you don't make it red. Yeah. 
Or, That's right. Wait, is it don't be make it purple? <laughs> I already forgot what I just said, but you just, these are creative constraints. Yeah. And so if the creative constraint that you have is you're trying to get your design business off the ground or you're trying to you know create a product that you're going to bring to market, mm-hmm. then and you don't don't quit your day job. Right. But what can you do between, yeah. instead of the nine to five, what can you do between five and nine? Mm-hmm. And, and I know, I mean, even successful entrepreneurs, I'll, I'll use Ryan Carson, who's a friend, he's been on the show, founder of Treehouse. Mm-hmm. He gets up at 4.30 in the morning, every morning, 100% exactly. of the time, mm. because he needs at least two and a half hours to yeah. do his most important work before his small children get up. Everyone's like, I got small children. Yeah. I understand. Less house of cards, mm-hmm. less you know, whatever, sleeping, it depends mm-hmm. on how bad you want it. But there are, these are constraints that we can all place on our time, our yeah. money, our assets. Of course, you increase the chance of success if you put more of what you can put in into the business, mm-hmm. whether that's time or money or energy or resources or whatever. Mm-hmm. But to, to, to paraphrase Richard Branson, what can you do to protect the downside? And right. It sounds like you've done yeah. that. It's, and it's, it's, so this is why Gary Vaynerchuk is a great it's, you know, it, he's gotten to a point of celebrity that is almost like a parody of himself, but he's right. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you need to work hard. And everyone is working hard, and it's like, you, you simultaneously need to be able to say, yes, you are working hard, but in actuality, you need to work harder. Because it's not a pleasant thing to hear. Yeah. It's not. And you, what you want to hear is you want to hear a little formula. One of the, one of the most dangerous parts about, uh, about self-help is that it puts the burden on the person be like, well, you didn't use my formula, so of course you failed, which yeah. is absurd and offensive. And and to talk about it as being, oh, it's it's actually your no no, not, there just never was a formula. In actuality, uh, you know, the the sunlight happened to reflect upon the ooze in such a way that it created life, right? Like that's <laughs> right. the the sun just wasn't in the right place at the right time for you, but it was for this guy or whatever. So uh, it's it's. It is this thing where the, where the life and the choice is not glamorous. But at the end, there is this weird sort of honor that you have where you're able to say, even though I, my goal was to be the A, and actually I turned out to be the A minus one, but you know what? I went out and I did it. And there's something like you're not going to get all the glory that you want, and you're not going to get probably all the money that you want. You might get, you might get none, you know? But at the end of the day, you look yourself in the mirror and you know what kind of person you are. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an amazing thing to have. And you can get that from anything. Uh, just re- this, is, this is a very frivolous example, but I'm learning to surf with like, a really good friend of mine in Santa Cruz and me and my girlfriend, Helen, whom I love deeply, uh, we go down there on a consistent basis and I've been trying to surf so hard for like three years and I'm 39 and it's like, <laughs> I'm not meant to do this at this age. But finally, it's like I finally clicked for me and it's such a, tr- a trivial, meaningless example. It's nothing to do with what we're talking about. But then you get to look at you know, like I did it. Yeah, I did it. And it's it's what what people don't realize as well is like, like like just just like everyone like we're, we're mostly quitters. Yeah, like we do mostly quit things. It's just that when you don't quit, then it's like oh something actually happens. So you can put yourself in a situation as I did where I was like, I just can't quit. Outlast. I just can't. I need to outlast my own bad habits and just relentlessly pursue it. That's why I have this little uh, uh, rail saver here on my thing as a reminder that I'm not going to quit surfing, which I didn't, in order to be able to get decently good. So it's like those like little daily habits and reminders that will get you there. So 
I think that's a that's a powerful lesson. Obviously, um, what have you quit? I think that was one of the things that I found early on as I would speak in front of people that like letting them know that oh wait I um, quit a career path in prof- toward professional soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, I was on the Olympic development team, could have played in Europe, right. decided not for me. Nine out of ten people are like, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Very hard to quit that, especially in the face of social convention. We're like, dude, if you can play pro soccer, you, you go tomorrow, now, yeah. go. Yeah, go. Mm-hmm. Um, dropped out of, uh, or what is it? Yeah, Bela Medical School, and dropped out of a PhD right. halfway through it. So these are three things that I quit. Mm-hmm. Basically, four years, it took me, you know, I quit those three major, major life yeah. sort of missions or visions for myself because it didn't, I, well, I wasn't feeling it. And I found it very hard socially, mm-hmm. culturally. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, I'm white, male, born in North America. These Correct. are all like yeah. radical privileges to be able, you know, no in those camps and to say, mm-hmm. like, oh, if you're smart and hardworking, you become a lawyer or a yeah. doctor. Mm-hmm. Taking all that with a grain of salt <laughs> and just saying, dude, don't be a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to be able to do that in the face of a lot of sort of shame around not being the successful things mm-hmm. that your other people have in mind for you, those are some of the things that I've quit. Those yeah. are some of the mm-hmm. reasons why I've quit them. Please share with us yeah. what are some things that so you many. have quit yeah. mm-hmm. and what are some of the reasons that you quit those things. Yeah, so I, I quit being, uh, one. I was one of the first podcasters in the world. I was, I was in the first 10 podcasters who were, was ever paid to do it at the age of 25 or some number. And, and, and I was like, I could keep doing this. And now if you look at, I mean, 2018 is the craziest year for this of all yeah. time. Podcasts have literally taken over the world. Right, they're everywhere. You know? And here you are, and you're 14 <laughs> years early. It was yeah. in 2004. And, uh, and I quit doing that. And then uh, I was a, and still am, because you can do it for a, a, a week and still be a New York Times bestselling author. And so you can be a New York Times bestselling author. You get to call yourself that forever. But I did that, and then I quit after five years. You know, and so it's funny how you're going to quit something, but actually you're pretty good at it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just that you have to follow, and it's okay to like different things for a certain period of career. You're like, well, this I did this, and then I can. It's it's I don't know. You know, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Terry Fallis, is a he was a he ran a PR agency in Toronto for many years, and then he became a, uh, a novelist. And he has a book that just, is actually just coming out in the next six months that I'm trying to get an advanced view of. And the book is called If At First You Succeed, which is a flip on the aphorism, if, if you at first don't succeed, try and try again. Yeah. I think everyone is successful at something, and midway through they're like, but is this really, is this really what I want? And the answer should sometimes be, no, it isn't what I want. And so you, because it's weird, you have a choice. If you're an entrepreneur, especially, it's so hard because you're like, but I was passionate in 2006 about this, and now it's 2011. I'm passionate about this new thing. Am I supposed to keep going? And that choice is very difficult to make. I have chosen to quit over and over and over again. And uh, in so doing, I have always felt like, there's more around the bend. And I think that understanding of there is a future past this is very, very important. It, 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 is a, it, it has a certain amount of self-reliance built into it. You have to feel like you can make a future, again, within the confines of the many privileges that we have. Yeah. Uh, 
but you have to build, feel like you can build another future for yourself, even though your present is actually pretty good. That's just not meant to be or something. Or if it's really shitty. Or if it's really shitty, then you should definitely quit. Yeah. yeah. And you also should believe that you can make a new thing that is not shitty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a law of diminishing returns, which yeah. is just like, is it really going to get better from here? 10% better? And just like, where is there good upside? You know, versus like, right now it's kind of downside protection or some kind of yeah. thing like that. So you, would, you do have to make those choices pretty wisely. So thank you for sharing a couple of things you've quit. Um, what about a couple of places where you've decided mm -hmm. not to quit? Mm. You've had every reason to, all of the urges. Yeah. So tell me about something you didn't quit and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, my God, but there have been so many things that I've quit. Well, just take a second. Think about it. I'll take a sip of water. We'll let everybody at home just like adjust their AirPods. Mm -hmm. This is delicious water. Thank you. Something that you decided not to quit that you I mean, persevered with, and why did you decide that? I think that there are a certain set of things that you feel like you should psychologically quit. Like, you, there are things that are inherent in, like, you cannot give up your own body. You just can't. You cannot give up your own mind. You just can't. There's a set of outside factors. Figuring out the difference between the inside and the outside is really hard. Because sometimes your identity is like, I'm a, I, I write books, or I'm, I'm a CEO, or I am an entrepreneur, or any other thing, a set of things like this. But recently, I've come to grips with this idea of uh, there's a certain set of things, and you just cannot give up on them ever. So I got, I got really hardcore into meditation uh, <laughs> really that. recently. I got violently in, hardcore into meditation. Very <laughs> hardcore. Yeah, I sound like a tech bro. Uh, and, but in order to, I, you realize that there's a certain, if you're just doing a minimal amount of it, you do not, it's useless. And if you, like if you go to the gym every month or every couple months, it's useless. And so there's a set of things like that that at some point you figure out, I need to actually commit. You don't quit those things because you kind of can't, but it's your choice at some point becomes, I'm just gonna take this for granted and I don't care, or I'm doubling down. And when I uh, start to double down is when you start to see actual results and you start to see that you can actually change your, you know, you can change your mind. You can change your, your horrible mental habits that you have. Like all of these different things, and if you're, and it's yeah. yeah, it's if you're an entrepreneur and you have a set of mental habits that are fundamentally the, the thing that's screwed up about being an entrepreneur is every every quality, every negative quality that you have is a negative quality that's going to be reflected into your business. So if you're lazy, then that's going to be reflected in your business. If you don't like to do A, B, or C thing, it's going to be reflected in your business. There's obviously much more obvious ones. Like if you're dishonest, then it's going to be reflected in your business, right? So it's really weird to, to see your own personality cause problems. This happens to everybody that's an entrepreneur. So I'm, not, I'm talking about myself, but it, it applies to everyone. So it's like at some point, you just have to work on the core. And I think that that is something that I recently realized. As you get older, it's more natural. And, uh, and I discovered it's like instead of half committing, my father taught me to meditate when I was 16. I went to a Zen temple in 2000 or 2009 in Japan, I stayed there for a while, and still then I was not committed. 
And then I was like, okay, well, I need this to become a real thing. You know, it's, it's amazing how habits, just daily habits, will just change everything. And you're like, oh, I'm going to overcommit, and I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to do it for six months. No, you actually just need to stop and just do it every day. And that's very important. What is, uh, what is your, your uh, mindfulness practice, your meditation practice now? Uh, you, every day, 30 minutes or longer, and then sometimes half days or full days of meditation that just go on for, and actually it's ironic because I do it not far from here in Tribeca with an ex-Zen monk who used to run a Zen temple in upstate New York. And, uh, and I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's very basic things. And this is another thing that we hear. We always hear, oh, you should do this thing. You should do this thing. And then we're like, eh, not for me. In actuality, it is for you. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're just, you're stuck in your, own, in your own habits. You're stuck in your own, like, in your own set of things, and you just need to give them up, you know? And sometimes, one day you figure that out, hopefully it's not too late. So meditation is a thing. What are some other daily habits? I'm a big freak on daily habits. I mean, we were just talking about it, and I'm noticing how my posture is relentlessly bad. It took me 39 years to finally listen to my mother and just be like, fine, you know? And it's like, it's- We both just sat up, if you're, you're listening. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I have a set of, I have, I have an app that, uh, that's called Streak, that would uh, normally sink to my watch, but I lost it in the ocean a couple of days ago. And, uh, and that is a set of 12 different habits that you can set up for yourself and just check, check, check them off every single day. And so the ones that I have now are just remembering to eat a certain amount of protein and then uh, always being, uh, having a good posture and then meditating every day and making sure to do yoga every day. And like making sure to connect with my girlfriend and making sure that we have like actual connection, real actual connection every day, uh, making sure that I exercise, like a set of other things like that that are just essentially like if you're in your 20s and I wasn't even a partier, but during that time I was like, you, you, you almost figure out like I can ignore my physical body and just not even pay attention to it. And then when you get to our age, you're just like, oh, I need to do this on purpose. Yeah. You know? I need to have some intention behind <laughs> physical fitness <laughs> yeah. and health and wellness. It's not going to go well. Eating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, how many habits do you track? 12? The maximum in the app is 12, Got which it. is probably way more than yeah. you should anyway. But each one of them is very simple. Yeah. I do 10 every day. I yeah. use a hap, an app called Habit List. Mm -hmm. I'm going to check out Streak. I think that's cool. Um, do you then review the data and see what you're doing well? I, I just allow my... I'm, I'm, I just, I'm for, I forgive myself for the mistakes or whatever when I don't do them. But just the fact that they exist on my phone and mostly on my watch means that every day I'm always paying attention to it. So even if I forget for one day, it doesn't matter. So it's not about like castigating yourself like mm -hmm. in uh, Da Vinci Code or whatever, yeah. you know. It's just like, uh, uh, I, I did not do it today and just moving on. Because you can really like, that's another thing about like when you're starting up some project you can become extremely self-hating as a result of your failures. And it's not like worth it, because what can you do? You can't do anything, so you might as well just give it up and just be like, okay, like I'm just gonna put this guilt to the side and just work on today. This is uh, John Maxwell, who's like a, a well-known preacher and kind of author, and how he talks about like, just, just work on today. Just every day, just work on today. Forget about everything else and just focus on like that current moment and doing the best that you can with that moment. And I think that is a great quality if you can achieve it. So three other habits that you, you employ on some sort of regular basis mm -hmm. that we can leave our friends with here. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say the, the one that I don't talk about, it's not even in my habits specifically, the one that I've been doing for decades is, and that other people have based their whole careers on, like they have always said, oh, it changed my life when you told me to write a thousand words every day. And it, it, this is a habit that is so ingrained in me that I do it as a co-founder of this business. I did it as a best-selling writer. I did it when I had no projects and when I had a lot of self-doubt. And just like relentlessly doing that, I did it this morning, I did it before, I'll do it tomorrow. And the reason why is because it's a moment of self-reflection in a world that is otherwise extremely focused on what it looks like on the outside. So you never review these words. You take them, and if you're writing them on paper, you throw them in the trash. Or you put them in a file, as I do on my computer, and I've never looked back at them. And just the thousand words allows you that re-examination and allows you to do that and feel really good about it. Now, these habits are good enough for other people that they've gone, oh my god, it changed my life. For me, I guess it maybe changed my life, but I just don't think about it much. Uh, another one is just to focus on your energy levels for the time of the day when you are best at certain things. So in the morning, I'm very good at certain things. In the afternoon, I'm good at others. And I just allow myself to be that way. And I don't try and fight who I am fundamentally. And then I would say probably a third one is uh, just making sure that I read every single day. Because no matter how much you, if you, even if you read like a page out there in the world, Naval Ravikant just wrote about this on Twitter. Uh, there is a, all of, all of human wisdom is accumulated inside of books, everything. And it's all accessible and it's really cheap and or free. Uh, and it's mostly not on BuzzFeed or on uh, The Verge or, or Where the Blaze time. or whatever, you know? It's not on We can make up 10 names of radical media news sites right That's now. Right. And they yeah. all and nobody would know if they existed or not. <laughs> uh, and they would go look for them. So the other one is just if you, you are relentlessly learning. And it's really easy if you have a project, and I've noticed this a lot. If you already have a project, you're a CEO of something or you're working on something, you just like drop the habits that are hard. But the, the ingrained wisdom that just occurs as a result, you read many bad books, you read lots of things that are complete filler and worthless, but over time you just accumulate a set of things that you know and that other people don't. And uh, the longer you go on, the better it is. And those things, I mean, the most amazing thing to learn is really habits will make you into the person that you are. And you try to, ah, I can do it, I can, no. You really need to become the person that will have the right qualities to get to the other side. And you don't start that way because nobody does. And, uh, and so habits will get you there. I think that's a weird and cool thing is that you, you, you literally sort of are the habits that if you, you can look backwards and connect the dots. Like, oh, I am someone who does X, Y, Z. Um, and if, you know, thoughts are one thing, but actions actually determine, mm -hmm. you know, so much about who you are because yeah. what you do, and this is not, it, it, do is not a career thing. It can be love your children, but those things are actually manifested in the world. And, and what's up here, mm -hmm. this is, you know, this is uh, separate, largely separate from the physical reality. The irony is that this controls your, your, your mental state, your mindset can control your sort of level of happiness, which is directly correlated to all these things. But actions, I find that if you start with actions, like mm -hmm. the, the doing of the things, I have a, mentioned these 12 things that I track. Yeah. I do not have an example of no matter how good, quote, classically things are going in my life mm -hmm. or how poorly. 
and you know on one end is like friends passing away and um, and struggles in relationships or business or whatever and on the upside like um, having a wildly successful professional project landing a new deal um, winning fill in the blank mm -hmm. whatever camp I'm in doesn't matter that I have a, I have the experience of if I do these 10 things every day mm -hmm. I am a happy person right Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if I'm, I mean, shit can be going sideways right. in this other camp mm -hmm. where things are not, but if I'm doing these 10 things every day, mm -hmm. I literally do not have an experience of doing these things and not being right. my best self. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I think there's this cool mystery that you can unlock, like what are those behaviors for you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've listed a bunch here, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've gone on record many times sharing mine so I won't hear, but it's interesting to, to understand how powerful you find habits. Um, so last, this is just a little sort of quick, a, a bell to ring. You mentioned reading. Anything that you, and I know I hate the most, is the best. What are you reading? Right now. I, uh, I have two f ways of thinking about what I read. One BuzzFeed. Is, hmm? what? BuzzFeed. <laughs> BuzzFeed is not. <laughs> no. uh, some of my best friends work at BuzzFeed. Uh, but no, uh, I would say one is, is you need something that is not productive. For me, that turns out to be true crime books. Uh, I read a lot of them, and it's just very. Uh, you, you, some people have video games. I also do that, but like, you need something that is just going to allow you to just not think about anything, and that's very useful. And then uh, there's there's a set of books that people always think about them, and so, you know they have different levels of density. Uh, there's this dude on Twitter right now who's talking about René Girard, who's like a very famous French philosopher. Uh, so you can go all the way to these insanely dense books or you can go low on density, but you need to figure out what your optimal thing is. And for me, I figured out a long time ago, I read when I was reading a book a week for many years, is there's this pop business thing and there's hundreds of books there and most of them are not worth it. And, and I've written a few of them. Hopefully you think they're worth it. But <laughs> I've written a few of them and so I know, and I know the people that wrote them. Just above that level, you start to hit the Brene Browns, you start to hit these other things that are just like that, that are about fundamental human things and very good quality and worthwhile. So you just need to find your, your density level that will allow you to stay motivated and not feel like you're reading 280 pages of the same thing. Yeah. And once you've found out that level, it doesn't even matter what the, the book is anymore. Just as long as you don't stop Consuming lifelong learning. You just continue. You consume it. I used to keep them on a spreadsheet. That's very helpful. What day I started, what day I, because I'm, you know, I, I want to be productive or something, I would try to convince myself that I was doing something valuable. My day that I started, the day that I finished, and I would try to do one every seven days, and I did for years. Wow. And I kept these spreadsheets. And, uh, and so. It, are they published it, anywhere or are they private? Uh, there was a there's a blog post about them okay. from a few years ago, but I can update it. Okay. And uh, and so as long as you have those, just keep going. It does not matter how slow you go, as long as you don't stop. Keep and going. That's it. Where do people find you online? Where do you want them to go? Uh, at, at on Twitter, it's at Julian J U L I E N. Name of my company, Breather.com. You can look it up there. Uh, I used to blog in overyourhead.net. There's a lot of stuff there, including that blog post. It was yes. very inspirational to a lot of people. And, uh, and just relentlessly just being out there trying to provoke and understand the world for what it is. 
Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm grateful for your time, bud. Yeah, great to have. Keep crushing. Take care. Have a great day. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, uh, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.